Hello and welcome to an August 4th Thursday edition of the Locked On Blazers podcast. I'm your host, Eric Garcia Gunderson, a writer for BlazersEdge.com and the former Blazers beat writer for the Vancouver Columbian. And today I am joined by a guy who will become a regular on this podcast, a regular guest, Dane Carbaugh from The Rewind. Dane, how are you doing today? Good, Beth. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be a regular contributor and uh, guest on this podcast. Yeah, very excited. Uh, you know, Dane, Dane is a guy who really knows a lot about the Blazers in particular, but also a lot about the NBA. He's been doing lots of videos, uh, video breakdowns recently for uh, several NBA SB Nation websites. So I'm happy to have Dane and his, his wealth of NBA knowledge on uh, regularly here on Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And I should mention that the NFL part of the Locked On Podcast Network is growing. We just added Locked On Eagles, Locked On Raiders, Locked On Patriots. So we're going to have hopefully the entire NFL covered. We almost have the entire NBA covered. So make sure to subscribe to and check all the Locked On channels for podcasts about your favorite team, including Locked On Blazers. So it's Thursday, and since we last talked, Dan, we saw the Blazers do a couple of big things for their future. They signed Mo Harkless to a four-year deal, and then, well, actually, the day before that, they signed C.J. McCollum to a four-year extension worth $100-plus million. And I guess what do you one one topic I feel like that's been like kind of a national topic of discussion about the Blazers is how expensive their team is and how and how mm. much the Blazers are paying to keep the same team together. What do you think about how they've used their cap space, how they've uh, built their team, basically bringing back the same team, but just raising the price of their team? Well, I think first you got to start with C.J. McCollum. Obviously, Neil O'Shea thinks that he's a critical piece of this team. I think there's a lot of evidence to support that, just with how well he actually worked together in this offensive with Damian Lillard last season, uh, what his production was in his first full year as a starter. Um, and if you take a look at that, I mean, we're talking about a, you know, a, a top 10 offense in the NBA last season in terms of offensive rating. So it's really hard to argue with that, especially when I think shooting guard and is, is a hard position to fill for a lot of teams and the deficit of stars, there's not enough stars to fill teams to make every team a contender. So if you think you have one or a budding one or one that's on the cusp to go along with your existing star, I don't see a, a reason to not pay for that. Uh, in terms of Mo Harkless, he didn't cost a lot of money. That's sort of my answer there. He's extremely young, and he did show flashes in the playoffs last season. So he definitely has uh, what a lot of teams are seeking, which is flexibility across the uh, forward spots, which I think is good news for Neil O'Shea because I think you have two sort of factors going on. One is that if you're paying to keep this team together, you're paying to keep it together for this year, but you have players on contracts and palatable contracts for multiple seasons. And so if it doesn't work out or if you have pieces to move and trade and players continue to evolve and develop, then you can move those players, use them as assets to get a bigger 
uh, star on your team. Especially for the Blazers, that's a crucial thing. It's probably going to be to trade for a star. Uh, but, you know, next year's free agency could prove fruitful. The other part of it, and, and we've talked about this before. We talked about this last time uh, I was on. And I forget what it was relating to. But essentially, I remember a couple off seasons ago, Stan Van Gundy said something about essentially where – as as you know, as you media members, which is always a uh, a dangerous you thing people. to start your start your opinion off with, because uh, it's you know, far too broad. But he was basically saying that you guys are always looking for what's the what's the value for uh, money, and oh, this player maybe shouldn't have been paying this much money for what they produce. But at the end of the day, you have to put together a basketball team. And the reality of the Portland Trailblazers uh, going into twenty sixteen seventeen is that they need to have players that can produce around two budding superstars. And that's what it is. If you're not going to pay anybody that money, so you're saying you're going to fill out the end of the roster with whatever else is left in free agency, like at the end of the day, what are you going to do with that cap space? What are you going to buy? It's there to purchase players' contracts, and that's what Neil O'Shea is doing. It's not. We're not talking about a Joe Johnson situation where they're um, you know, paying – a ridiculous amount of money over the cap. This team isn't even over the cap yet. Um, and in terms of what's available to Portland, that's those are pretty good spends. Now, did they make their team significantly better? Is this team the team that's going to take them to the conference finals? No, and I don't think that answer is there on this roster this season. I still think they have next offseason to go, the next free agent class to go, and another trade to go. But Neil O'Shea did with with what he the sort of the cards he was dealt. And honestly, one of those cards is Paul Allen saying, you've done a good job. I think that you can spend some money now. And I don't really care about the luxury tax because who cares about the luxury tax when you're a multi-billionaire? Not Paul Allen. Not when you want to win. Not when you love the Blazers. Not when that's, that's what you want to do. So we've seen that in the past. Obviously, Neil O'Shea has the green light to do that. So in terms of spends, no. On dollar for production, is it the best possible team you, uh, you could have? No. Is the best possible team you could probably put together this offseason? Probably. I mean, I think Neil O'Shea made every, um, made every drive to get the players that he wanted in, in free agency and uh, missed on a couple of them and did the best he could. So I'm, I'm not super concerned with, um, you know, if the cap jumps back down $15 million in two years and none of these players got any better and Evan Turner is a total disaster, then, yeah, it's fine to look at it that way. There's no problem. But in terms of what he thinks he's going to get out of it, sometimes you're just at a point where you have to take chances. And, and your, your team and, your, and, and what free agent class is coming up, sometimes those things don't perfectly align for teams. So you have to make the best um, of what you can do with the situation. It's the real world out there, despite the, the money being, the unreal money being thrown around. So I'm, I'm okay with it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think there, there are limitations in what Portland could have done. I think there's limitations mm-hmm. as, as you know, as, as a lot of people who have followed the Blazers know in terms of attracting the star free agents that a lot of people wanted. You know, they were rumored to be in the mix with Hassan Whiteside or whatever, but that, you know, it seems like they knew that they didn't have a chance. And so they went after somebody else because, and and Mm -hmm. so uh, they they went after other guys. They tried to get a ball handling wing. And I, I think they, they did what they could. I think the team, this is the other thing too. I think that a lot of people hold that start that the Blazers had at the start of last season against this current team. When, if you watch them, 
throughout the entire year, it was clear by the end of the season mm-hmm. that they were not that same team that they were at the start of the mm-hmm. season when they went 11 and 20 and they were blowing fourth quarter leads left and right. I mean, their, their defense mm-hmm. greatly improved. I think their offense was really, they found a, a real rotation after they got Vonley out of the starting lineup. I felt like they, they found guys all found their roles. I felt like with the Blazers last year, and I feel like they just didn't know their roles. And I know that this is going to be a season where they're going to have to, have guys finding new roles again with Evan Turner and Turner mixing with Crab, and then all the big men seems like a really complicated puzzle, you know, from night to night. But I do think it's going to be easier for a lot of these guys to settle into roles. And I think one thing that I I talked to Kevin Pelton about because I you know I had my I had my questions about whether they would be able to manage the egos, and all these guys have gotten paid now, so it's not a situation mm-hmm. where if they're missing out on touches, if they're missing out on minutes, that they're worried about mm. not getting their check next season in the offseason. And so right. I think that is going to be another element that, you know, maybe you might take away some of the animosity that would normally be there in a situation like this where the team is, you know, 10 guys deep and you're not going to and not everyone on the bench is going to play every night. Right. Yeah. No, I, I think that that's a good assessment. Another angle that a lot of people haven't thought about. And, And the good thing is, too, is I think for a lot of these guys, as as you alluded to, and not not necessarily going after Hassan Whiteside or whether or not they thought they had a chance or not, I think there was some indication from O'Shea that maybe that wasn't the type of player they wanted to go for because I think the rumor was they went really hard at Gasol. Um, But those are the guys, in terms of Evan Turner, Alan Crabb, those are the guys that you want to have paid on your team in terms of attitude. That they fit on the team in the first place, and then yeah, you have the the secondary part of it, which is that now they those guys don't need to feel slighted in any way, shape, or form because they already have their check. And a lot of them seem to be both just from their you know I don't know Twitter inter- Twitter interactions. CJ McCollum and Alan Crabb seem uh, you know about as happy as you would be if you got paid seventy plus million dollars and a hundred plus million dollars. You know, so they're look we're good together, we're teammates, we're buddies, let's go. You know, so yeah, how how could you be mad? About 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 yeah. you and your teammate who are both on the same team getting paid one hundred and seventy million dollars. You know it, it it's yeah. It, it, and I also think too, it's like I mean, I, f- I feel like that concern would have been there a lot more if the guys all weren't getting paid. Like if if McCollum, you know, mm-hmm. maybe wasn't going to get his extension, which you know he apparently wanted. He wanted to do everything in his power to come back to Portland. And so, uh, yeah, I think they're pretty well set up here. And I think what you mentioned too, all the other guys are on pretty affordable contracts that they they can move, that they, that they can trade around and, you know, maybe package together for a big star, or if they're really just worried about the tax, sell them off for a couple of picks or whatever, you know, some second rounders or first rounder, you know, and and I, I'm not saying that I'm immune to the idea that it looks like there was a you know a long SB Nation article uh, written about sort of did the Blazers get better. I'm not immune to the idea that you know, sort of nationally and perception wise that why would you spend money on these players? But if you're looking at it from a perspective of what can the Blazers do now, what are role models getting or role models uh, role players getting paid? sort of on that cusp, especially as they're developing ones and how much money do they make? I mean, at the end of the day, salaries for pro athletes are 
astronomical. They don't make any sense in like the realm of normalcy in the first place. So, and then when you mix in, it's like, okay, but this guy's your eighth guy off the bench. I don't understand. So I, I totally get that. But from a perspective of planning and how it works within the confines of, you know, less than 500 players in the league and 30 teams, it makes a lot more sense when you take a look at that from that perspective and say, we can probably move these guys later. And, you know, so and I tweeted it as a joke, but, you know, let's say in three years there's no place for Moharkless, but Moharkless is uh, much better than he is now. He's a sixth man or even uh, a starting, starting caliber player, you know, maybe at best. Okay, well, then Neil will shake and say, I've got this guy for two more years on $10 million, and everybody that you want to sign this offseason is going to cost you 18 So would you like to trade for Mo Harkless? I mean, that the, why, not, why not take a gamble on being in that situation? And in the meantime, you still have him at the level of production he has now, which, again, being on the West Coast and not seeing you know, him sort of produce – if you're in, in the Midwest, even, maybe you're just like, why? Who is Mo Harkless? Why? 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 It's like, okay, well, th- well there's good reason for it. So if you really want to feel less um, you know, uneasy about that and you're not necessarily a, a Blazers watcher, go ahead and take a look at some of the statistics he put up and sort of his trends for the last third of the season, and that'll maybe help you understand a little bit better. Um, but I think at a ten million dollars, that's really not a problem for him. And CJ, I, I, I just don't even, I don't, e- I, I joke that I don't even have anything to to say about that because it was as inevitable as it could possibly could be. Neil O'Shea is CJ has been Neil O'Shea's boy, boy since he was in college. Okay, and the other part of it is his production last year was. All anybody talked about, especially at a national stage when it came to Portland, and for good reason, I don't understand any qualms for him taking less than a max deal extension. There's, there's, so there's, when it comes to especially those two guys, that's, that's how we started this conversation. I, I don't really have any, any problems with it. You know, obviously, we talked about it last time. The Evan Turner and Alan Crabb thing has a lot more sort of nuance to it just in how they fit into the team. Um, and obviously their production to this far in their career. But uh, the last two signings are, I don't know, kind of no-brainers. Yeah, I I think that's a pretty good way to explain those two signings as no-brainers. I think CJ, obviously a no-brainer. Like you said, he was phenomenal last year. It was all anybody talked about nationally was how good he was. And, yeah, and you also said, you also bring up a great point that CJ has been Neil's guy Neil O'Shea's guy for a really long time, even before the uh, but the, before they traded for Aaron Aflalo. I even remember that O'Shea was on the radio and and talking about how right. well C.J. McCollum produced when he got so many minutes. Like basically publicly saying, like, "Hey, Coach Stotts, like you should play uh, C.J. a little bit more." And uh, mm-hmm. but, but that, and that was before the follow trade, which, you know, was something that, you know, they were in a position to do it. They did it. They took a risk and it failed, but that's, that's the NBA. You got you nothing risk, nothing gained. And mm-hmm. I think in this case, like you said, no brainer, uh, for both of those signings. And the other thing too, that you mentioned about, you know, you got Harkless, you know, down the line or whatever, it, it's a, an important thing to state now. And a lot of national media people have said this, but it's better to have more years on your contract now 
than it is than it was five years ago when like expiring contracts were the mm-hmm. thing that everybody wanted. And it's like always better if a guy's coming off your right. books and then you can open up that cap space. But now that everybody has cap space in the off season mostly, and you don't know what the market's going to dictate in terms of players and their salaries. Like you see Mozgov getting an ungodly number and, and all these guys that got really high salaries. Right. If you know that Mo Harkless is going to be making 10 million a year for the next two to three years, it's a lot easier Mm -hmm. to sell to your cap analyst or whatever that you just know what it's going to be a fixed price for the next couple of years and you don't have to worry about that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I mean, uh, not that it's on the same uh, level because the production isn't the same. It's not proven yet. But the Harkless signing feels very much in the vein of the Ed Davis and Aminu signings to me in terms of value. It's more on potential because there's less, uh, there's, you know, there's less years of experience there. But then again, I think Newell Shea has that leeway given the fact that he was riding CJ so much for minutes. And then in his first year of full starting, he's, uh, you know, a border, a borderline star. So yeah, I, t- I totally think it's it's a it's um, a value thing. I, I did a podcast last week, uh, well, a couple talking about just where the Blazers kind of are in the West, and ESPN did like their summer forecast of where they think the Blazers are going to be. Mm-hmm. I think they pegged them to finish fourth. I might be a little bit higher on them. I don't know how you feel about the Blazers. Where do you think that they? Where do you think is the highest seed that they could get next year? Uh, I mean, do you think they could challenge? Maybe the the Spurs or the Clippers for the second for the third seed, maybe wh- whichever one of those maybe hangs around there. Because that's I, I'm kind of in the ballpark of they they could get third. I think. Sure, now, I think that's I'll I'll play uh, I'll play both sides of it. One, I would say in the potential that they get that that three seed, you're probably looking at a situation where Oklahoma City takes a dip. The Spurs, I mean, I guess take a dip. But there's nothing within my waking, conscious life as an adult and a child that would say that there's any indication that that should be the case. Um, and then the Clippers, the Clippers feel like, well, every single year feels like it's it's a, you know, they're on the razor's edge for for for, for basically their team exploding and needing to be rebuilt and torn apart or whatever. This season feels just from uh, after Blake's injuries and uh, Chris Paul's age. It feels like they, this is definitely the year for them. So it's I think it's possible for them to slide into that spot if again we don't see what we saw last year in the first twenty five games of the, of the season with a lot of sort of blown games at the end and problems with offense rebounding and things like that. Um, on the, on the on the other side, I would say that I think it's possible that it, this team this team takes longer to sort out specifically with defensive sort of both in their uh, on-court rotations and their sort of platoon system so I think if that's the case and Azili doesn't slot in as easily as we think then um you know five maybe but yeah I I think anywhere from three four five is is completely understandable and uh, possible, and we saw them really prove themselves last season. There's no reason to think that a step forward, especially as they've tried to clearly, you know, Olshay brought in Evan Turner to try to help 
uh, qualm the problem they had in the last 20 games of the year and in the playoffs where everybody's just uh, high blitzing CJ and Damian. If they're going to sort of break that and make it harder for teams to game plan against their two best offensive players and basically take time to get more film on the Blazers to figure out how to stop them again, well, then they're going to win more games during that period. So, you know, I think I think all those are uh, within the realm of possibility. But I would probably say, you know, no lower than no lower than five. You know, it could be a situation where if they had some sort of injury, it would be like a, a, a end of season six seed. But I don't see them being seven or eight at all. No, I, I see them being much better. Yeah, definitely I, 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 I guess I'm more. I'm more skeptical of San Antonio, I guess. I, I know that my brain has been trained now to not doubt them, but this is the first time they've not <laughs> had Duncan. And I do wonder about – I know Popovich mm-hmm. is obviously amazing, but I do just wonder about like a power leadership vacuum in with them. Obviously, you know, mm-hmm. maybe Tony Parker slides into that. You just did a video about Tony Parker uh, for pounding the rock, maybe he slides mm-hmm. into that. Maybe he and Ginobili are more of the leaders now that 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 Duncan is gone. But you know, I I I guess I just have my doubts uh, about whether they can duplicate everything that they've had. I know that Duncan's minutes have gone down. I know that he sits out a lot. I know that they've been able to play really well without him in the lineup for several years now. But the fact that he's just not there. I don't know. It may, it makes me probably a little bit more skeptical. I think I'm higher. I'm definitely higher on the Clippers. I'm with you. I think the Clippers are going to be f- very good next year. Uh, but yeah, I think mm-hmm. I think maybe there's a potential for a slide from San Antonio, and and maybe Portland, Utah, take advantage of that because uh, I, I think Oklahoma City will still be there if they if they have Russell. But I think I think Utah is going to be really good too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Utah. Utah is sort of the the basketball writers uh, hope. We saw real strong stuff from them the last, uh, I mean, the last thirty games or something like that, or or sort of the thirty games after, right after the All Star break was fun. So I think, um, man, the, the Spurs are so tough because it feels like after all this time, you would think that Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili are already full throated leaders in that locker room, but maybe we're also which. <laughs> Maybe we're uh, trying to slide over the fact that LaMarcus is now the second star on that team where you're thinking, okay, but we've seen how that works right here in Portland. I mean, he's basically, I'm not sure. I mean, it it feels like, yeah. And well, they, and they had a, they had a, they had a historically amazing, you know, defense last season. Now they're going to be uh, (laughs) platooning David Lee and Pau Gasol. (laughs) At the center, which is just like, what, uh, what is happening? So, and the other thing that I noticed, um, you know, Tim Duncan gave the second most assists to LaMarcus Aldridge last season. So, if the post-passing or post-to-post passing isn't as good as it was last year, that maybe bumps down LaMarcus's effectiveness or, or puts him into more isolation situations or what have you. So, yeah, that team will be super interesting. They are for... Um, I mean, it's so easy to say this as a basketball writer, but they are the team I am one of one of the teams I'm most interested to watch because how can that situation not just entice you that they don't have they're look one of the you know top fifty players of all time is now gone and you're thinking, what is going to happen? They still have everybody else and they were you know, they were historically good last season and oh my god, this is so weird. Um so I, I'm super interested to see them. 
uh, yeah, I don't know though. Obviously, uh, obviously the Warriors are number one. Uh, yeah, I like how we just don't even the West, we like, don't even discuss. Year. Yeah, just yeah. <laughs> I think the Spurs are going to be a really interesting test case for the culture versus. You know, like what what contributes to mm. the culture, like organizational culture and all that, because it's such a buzzword every time. I mean, we talk about it here about the Blazers and their culture and how Damian Lillard kind of sets the tone mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And I, I, I feel like it's going to be a really interesting test case for like, can a culture with, be built? And then when the main star is gone, even though everybody else is there, the coach is there, basically everything else is the same. Can it sustain itself without the one guy who kind of they, who they built that culture on. Cause that, I mean, even Popovich says like, that's how they built the team. They basically built the team in the mold of Duncan. Right. But I also think that that's something that Popovich would say. And if there's, I, I'm sort of a, I believe less in coaches, even ones that have sort of historical accomplishments. Like I would say that, uh, in the late portion of this last decade, everyone was all over Doc Rivers, and now the attitude towards him has shifted now that he's in L.A. and not Boston, and that's sort of where I've been the entire time with Doc Rivers. So uh, there, I don't really hang on to coaches in that way. Greg Popovich I'm completely on board with in terms of him being a large factor and a deciding factor that can help overpower maybe some deficits uh, that are in their corner now. So I, I, I still think obviously we're both in agreement that they'll be a good team. That, that's not a problem, but yeah, that, that culture thing will be interesting. I'm obviously I'm, I'm more interested to see that if, and when he, or when he finally leaves in a couple of seasons, but I think he'll be able to, to power it through and he, he has enough old heads still on his team to be yeah, able to, no, <laughs> to keep but that'll going. be interesting. I, I, I think the Blazers, all those teams are going to be a really interesting uh, position, but uh, Dane, just remind the folks where they can find all of your stuff uh, on the interwebs. And Dane is going to be a regular guest here on Unlocked On Blazers. Just a reminder. Uh, but I, I think th- that's a wrap for today. I think uh, we covered quite a bit. And uh, so just, yeah, let, let the people know where to find your stuff again and you'll be back. So I'm, I'm happy to have you. I'm happy to have you on. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be back. Yeah, man, we're going to do it. Uh, so you can find me on YouTube at uh, The Rewind. You can just type that in and find me. I release new videos every Wednesday and every Saturday, so check those out. Uh, when this podcast comes out, I'll have a new video coming out next Monday or Tuesday for Denver Stiffs, talking about uh, Moutier and his attempts at the rim. You can also find me on Twitter at, at Dane Carbaugh and on Facebook at, at Dane Carbaugh. Um, yeah, and that's pretty much it. You can find me at Blazers Edge and, of course, right here on Lockdown Blazers. Yeah, we're very happy to have Dane on as a regular guest here as part of the Lockdown Blazers team, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. You can follow me at Eric underscore Gunderson. Follow the podcast at Lockdown Blazers. And you can even send us an email at LockedOnBlazers, one word at gmail.com. We're also on Stitcher. We're going to be on Google Play soon. We're going to be on TuneIn FM soon. So we're going to make sure that we are wherever you are listening to podcasts. So subscribe to Lockdown Blazers. Listen to us on the Audio Boom Network. And if you can leave a review, leave us a five-star review because that is the best review. All right. We'll catch you next time.